How do you want your character, you want to, your die? character to die? Podcast. I'm Randall James, and I'm dying to be here. With me is Tyler Kamstra. Hi, everybody. And Random Pal. No. <laughs> <laughs> That's random. Uh, and we have a special guest tonight. With us tonight is Wolf. Oh, I thought you had it covered. Hi, my name is Wolf. <laughs> Perfect. Awesome. Awesome. Uh, Tyler, what are we doing tonight? Uh, well, today we're going to talk about death. Uh, it's Halloween. Uh, well, it's Spooktober, so uh, it's the spooky month. We're going to talk about spooky things, and we wanted to start with death. Um, last week we talked about the Monsterizer, so I guess technically we started with that, but you get my point. Um, so we have Wolf here. Um, Dan, Producer Dan and I met Wolf at PAX after a panel called The Care and Feeding of a Community, and Wolf had some really interesting insights into uh, managing traumatic experiences for characters within the game, specifically death. Um, now, Wolf, my understanding is uh, you're very active in the local LARP community, um, and in in live action role play, uh, players often play the same character for years at a time. They've invested a lot of time and money into. Uh, the character into costumes, props, things like that. So death is uh, really significant when you've really lived in a character for that long. Um, and that feels very similar to the tabletop RPG experience, but taken like way to the extreme because you've spent so much time inhabiting this character. It's, uh, it's true. I've, I've seen, I've seen it all. It's horrifying. <laughs> Uh, well, hopefully not too horrifying. Um, so you had some great insights in the panel about... Um, Actually, Tyler, before uh, we go much further, I, I have a question for you. Yeah. What is death? Uh, what is death? Well, if we ask the biology community, question mark. Um, I, I'm kidding. Uh, scientists understand this way better than I do. Uh, so in terms of game terms, your character is dead. They go from a character to an object. Um, they... <laughs> 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 I, <laughs> straight into the philosophical stuff. This is not what I was expecting from tonight. Good. Very good. <laughs> Truly a collection of objects. If we're being... Yes. <laughs> um, so depending on your rule set, uh, there will be some variation on the rules that lead to your character dying. Most frequently it will be you get hit with something nasty like a spell or you take a bunch of damage and you're reduced to zero hit points. Your character is now dying or possibly immediately dead. If you are a longtime RPG player, this has happened to you most likely. If you're a new player, it's coming. Be ready um, and just understand it's part of the game. It might hurt. It probably should, but that's part of the experience. Yeah, because in in fifth edition, right? Like we have this idea of the saving throws to to save yourself from death. But you can actually take so much damage. Like, what what is the rule? If you take a certain amount of damage, you're just dead. Like it's over. You're gone. Yeah, double your hit points, and and that is way more 
what am I trying to get at? Way more generous than previous editions. In 3.5, if you reached minus 10, you died. It doesn't matter if you're a 20th level character with 500 hit points. If you take 510 damage, you're dead. So, and, you know, Pathfinder did that a little bit better. You could get to minus your con score for some reason, which still, you know, like, I, I'm still 20th level. I still have 500 hit points. Ooh, negative 520. Who boy. Yeah, the difference um, between 10 and 20 there isn't, isn't carrying much weight anymore, is it? Exactly. Um, so, yeah, mechanical death, um, and, and there's usually some ways to, to save yourself from it, you know, in 5th in edition, um, like Tyler said, you have your chance to save yourself with death saves, uh, which is a really interesting mechanic. Um, and particularly, it's it's kind of fun that you stop tracking hit points. Like, um, if you're at zero, you're just dying, and even if somebody hits you for 50, um, you know, as long as that's not going to outright kill you, that's just one fail. So mechanical death like that, um, but yeah, character death is... Uh, it's a can of worms. When, and so, Wolf, I've actually, I've never done live action role play. So I'll ask the question, is there such a thing as mechanical death? What does it look like typically in LARP? Is there a particular system? So it varies just sort of um, game to game. Uh, it is uh, more hardcore games is pretty much one and done. Uh, when you, you, you have a bleed out timer. So once you've taken your damage or you've been hit in the appropriate spots, uh, you fall over and you start a five minute counter. Um, then there's an option of a killing blow where they raise their arms and drop them down, you know, with their sword on you, and that cuts your timer down. And then there are games where when you die, you go to a resurrection circle, and you draw beads from a bag, and you have eight beads, and one of them is black. And if you draw the black bead, that's it, you're done. Wow. So there's a bunch of different systems, and that's just that's just kind of the, the, the surface of the ones that I've played in. How, how many not-death beads do you have to draw to not be dead? Or is there some other mechanism to escape that? Seven are white, one is black, and if you draw a white bead, the white bead stays out of the bag. And the next time you die, you draw again, and your chances get oh. even harder. So it's it's a it's not quite a nine lives situation. And yeah, like you said, the odds get worse for you every single time. I I have seen new players draw the black bead on their first game. Oh, that's rough. Oof. I actually yeah. really like that mechanic. That's so cool. So uh, that's interesting. Like, I, w- I would almost want to take that into, like, regular games. We'll, we'll, we'll definitely come back to this later in the episode. But, man, that is fascinating. I like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm imagining not doing this on Roll20, though, because I feel like I'm going to draw the black beat every single time. <laughs> that's a whole nother. Something about Roll20, our luck is just always the worst. Yeah, at least mine. So I, I feel like we can kind of categorize deaths into two batches, right? There's the unplanned death. It's the you made a bad choice or you got yourself into a bad situation. Uh, when we had Colby on a while back, uh, they were saying as a DM killing your characters in five E like is actually hard to do because the game is set, set up so well to keep players alive. I guess, especially in LARP, like how often is it that a death is a planned death where it's like, look, we need to retire this character. We need to end this and kind of go to the next thing versus, you know, live in game dying. Uh, most of it, most of it is, uh, is on camera. So, it, it's 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 happening live and in the moment. 
when uh, when deaths happen sort of um, outside of the public view or in private places, a lot of times the storytellers will get together with the player and say, let's make this cool, let's do it in public, how do you want, how do you want this to work? Ultimately, the ending is still the same, it's just we're letting you, we're letting you tell the story, we can choreograph a little bit and we can make it dramatic and fun for everyone, because nobody likes to die off screen. Yeah, 100%. Like, how often is that, like, a character gets to redeem themselves and have this, like, heroic moment or something funny? How often is it, like, turning villainous and then being the foil right before being put down? Uh, honestly, uh, in in some of the games I play in, it's, it's a roll of the dice. Um, somebody goes bad or somebody comes in with a concept where they're, they're playing a villain, and sometimes both will get their moment. Your heroic person is he's saving someone, and the villainous PC is he's getting stabbed by the heroic PC. Um, and, and so really it's, it's a roll of the dice. Um, I'd say by far the most dangerous thing is, uh, going into the woods alone is probably one of the most dangerous situations where you get <laughs> murdered by a monster in the woods because you went out there alone. Makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. And, and it, it's funny, right? You see, you talk about going off in the woods alone, uh, the eternal trope of don't split the party, having characters turn villainous sometimes against their own will, like against the player's will can be a really interesting way to just throw a wrench into the current narrative, which if you're prepared for it can be really cool. There's various points that I've uh, seen in books and, and even experienced like um, everyone is asleep, but the person on watch and the person on watch fails a geese. And now they're secretly plotting to kill you source. This happens to me. If you are going to, to roll something like that, I think that it's really important to talk with the player and, you know, if it is something that is happening live, like, okay, the randomness says you failed your geese, you're my spy now, or you failed, you know, the, the dominate, whatever, then play out the rest of the session and then talk to this person offline, um, you know, say, all right, I know you love this character, I own you at this point we need to figure out how to make this interesting so that maybe this character does die. Maybe this character, um, you know, can be redeemed somehow. It's a thing to be aware of that you should play out the immediate consequences, but don't feel like you're locked into those immediate consequences. Um, you know, don't feel like, ah, just because I have turned this person, you know, just because this person has suffered the Vargwheel's kiss, uh, they are now, toast because they're a level two character talk to somebody and then if you are going to plan it then definitely have that sort of plan for making it be something cool yeah i guess i, I want to like dive into this a little bit more so i've never been in a situation where there's a planned character death where a dm and a player are like conspiring together to put this together and so we'll for like for what you talk about for larping when it is a plan how do you do that do you put the high level bullets together uh and then kind of get from bullet to bullet as uh as improv like how much of this is scripted and rehearsed versus we know we want to get to this endpoint, so just get out there and get there if uh if someone's retiring their character say they're getting close to an xp cap which is something that they do in a lot of larps to help with the power creep and stuff um we'll spend a lot more time you know choreographing what's going to happen what's happened with their character in the last year two years three years that uh that led them up to this point um and then and then we work with them to tell the story and to help push the plot forward. 
generally from the get-go on character creation, it's one of the things I talked about at PAX. One of the questions we like to ask and continually ask is, uh, how do you want your character to die? And um, and you'd, you'd be interested. It's interesting to see how much that answer changes as the character develops. Because at first they may they may say, you know, I want to go in the tavern when it's caught on fire, you know, and I, that's that's how I want to go. And then later on, it's like I want to die in the arms of this person who saved me. And um, it also serves as a mechanism to remind them that death is a possibility, especially in LARPs where you play for two or three years. You forget. You've gone in the woods a hundred times. You're safe. Like you, you every time, ten out of ten. And then that one time that that rock golem comes out and smashes you for a hundred massive damage, and you're down, and you're in the woods, and nobody's there. Um, it's um, so. I'm sorry, I'm getting off topic, but um, uh, in in retirement situations or 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 in situations uh, that are uh, like a character wanting to to bring in something else. Uh, they will generally talk to staff, work something out that that continues the plot or seeds the next plot or makes the villain look even more you know badass in in smaller scale situations like if i 'm going out as a big bad guy n p c and I accidentally throw a hundred massive at that poor new player who's it 's his second game i I create workarounds with the player where I pick their body up while they 're still on their five minute count and I walk them into town and I throw their body at the tavern. And uh, then all their friends come out, fight me, and kill me like they're supposed to. And then they have the chance to save their buddy. So in those situations, it's a little less choreographed and more like, I'm going to drag you in here because you shouldn't have been out here and you likely didn't know. No, that's pretty awesome. I like that kind of, um, I, I don't want to say gentleness because it's not quite that. Um throw it, Throwing an unconscious body into the tavern as a monster feels plausible but at the same time it does provide those interesting guardrails for new players i think that's a really clever way to handle that and and in other situations we'll turn them undead you know we'll raise them as undead which stops their counter now they're temporarily an npc we get to send them in everyone knows what's happening and then they get to murder him and raise him back to life so it's another another uh, another option to make it a little more thematically appropriate Revenants revivify. No. God, why? <laughs> it's back. It's back in LARP. Uh, okay, uh, random. No, there are going to be people asking what that is. got to explain that one. I know. So um, the the undeath that you just talked about. So in, in Dungeons & Dragons 3.5, there was a... So revivify, much like revivify in 5th edition, if someone has recently died, you bring them back to life, no penalty... Uh, it's a lower level, and it's it's way easier to accomplish. Great. Um, but what do you do if someone's been dead for a day because you didn't have Revivify? Well, you blame Wizards of the Coast for wording things badly because they created this spell called um, Revenance, which is basically, <clears throat> I'm going to bring someone back to the or back to life from the dead so that I can talk to them for like 15 minutes, and then and this is the exact wording of the spell, at which point they die again. And because they just died, they are now a valid target for Revivify, and so you bring them back to life. And <laughs> you can't see my my frantic arm gestures, podcast listeners, but <laughs> oh my god, Watsy, figure yeah. yourself out. They were vivacious. <laughs> I, but I will say for like for the, the LARP situation, that sounds perfect to me, because I can imagine you might have folks who were out there for their first time. They will walk away not realizing that you saved their life. 
potentially, they might just think that was awesome because like I went out there and I got murdered and then he threw me at my friends, idiot, because then my friends brought me back to life. Like I can I can imagine a situation where they they learned the lesson you want them to learn, which is you can die in this game. Like don't don't just gently walk out into the night because you think it's going to be a good time. Uh, but also they still get to come back and play that same character without having to restart. So I, that really makes a lot of sense to me. And and when you have, you know, 50 to 120 or 200 players at a time, uh, the, the power scale is, is, is difficult, more difficult to manage. Uh, so like in D and D generally you're, you're close to the same level as you progress. Um, nobody wants to be that guy who shouldn't be in the universal, like, like domain of planes as level two, um, because he's going to get killed by a scrap piece of dust. So we've got people from level two all the way up to, you know, 110 that are, that are out there playing. And, um, the one guy who thinks he's safe in the woods um, gets gets you know found because he doesn't know that he shouldn't be there. Um, and just just to be clear, rock golems are very territorial and like to rip people apart in front of other people to show how <laughs> badass they are. It's the, the kind of monster that'll beat a dude with another dude. Yeah, it's yeah, rock golem X. <laughs> Um, how, so in, in LARP, like how, you know, you talked about throwing the body at a group of friends, how attached to a particular character will other characters be like, do they, is it a thing folks take in stride or do they really get into the role play of like, you know, it's John and John's gone and I can't believe this. Artemis, it's, it's, whatever. it's real bad. Okay. Um, Wait, you, which way? Cause there's so many versions of real bad. You get, you get, you get really attached to your character. Um, gen, we have some players in, uh, in a couple of the games that I play with, uh, who have an accent and they can't stop speaking with the accent. Um, you're almost guaranteed to have dreams or nightmares about your character dying or living, um, within the first year of playing. And, um, people get really attached and uh, there are funerals that people hold in character. Um, uh, there's uh, generally there are safe places where you can speak out of character, but once you're in the game space area, you're considered in character for all intents and purposes, unless you're 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 brand new and don't know the rule yet. Um, there are decorum calls, so if somebody starts speaking about the real world and cell phones and all of this, you you just politely say decorum, and it's the call to get them back on track. Oh, obviously not from the the LARP perspective. I have not done much of that, but. Um... In even just like a regular D and D game, I have definitely had characters, you know, more and less, and it's really about the character. I think um, so. You know, uh, is a chaotic neutral stabby rogue gonna be real mournful about the passing of other people? Nah, man, that's money laying on the ground. On the other hand, this paladin that I, I have talked about so often. Um, we lost two player characters to the final boss of death house a a few sessions later when we finally got some downtime i uh like in the in in between sessions i went i found a font that claimed to be a giant like you know which is like based on a dwarven script um i wrote out the character names and i like printed them brought them in and i said Hey, other character, will you uh, ritual scar these into my back for me? Um, and that way, I was carrying those you know dead characters with me forever. Th- you know, that's just like 
that's really where you know how long should the pcs mourn it's dependent on the person right in the same way that people in real life you know you're going to have people who react to death very differently you're going to have somebody who says oh well yep there went my parents woo um or you're going to have somebody who is really grieving and you know if they're processing for days weeks months that's fine um now you know given the the nature of D, you're probably not going to be actually like irl mourning a character for months but you know it's also plausible so it really it just boils down to what do you think the character that you're inhabiting would do as a reaction to these other characters dying now i'm curious what you guys think um if the death of the character isn't planned like does that affect kind of that mourning period um like i know i've had some characters that i was kind of attached to die untimely deaths um random your rise of the rune lord campaign um i had the same character die at least twice um (laughs) the first time real unplanned it was a it was a straight up fight we were winning. I got hit with a bad critical hit and went from like half hit points to outright dead in one shot. And I was the healer, so nobody else was going to do anything to help me. Yeah, so so if the death is unplanned but also inevitable, like how do you handle that? I think that, once again, I'm, I'm going to want to point us towards uh, let's have a social solution first. And part of that is going to be at your session zero, setting the expectation of this is a low, medium, high lethality campaign. You know, we we talked about this some in failure because often, you know, consequences for failure do lead to death. Maybe your characters aren't actually dead, but, you know, improvise and they're captured. Or maybe like, yeah, you're uh, like dead, but... um, People are going to be able to bring you back to the local cleric who very conveniently you have done a service for and will bring you back to life. Or maybe it is just, nah, man, you died. Uh, And uh, again, like we talked about in an episode, I think there's really a lot of, did you die because you're a wizard who just walked into a room full of territorial uh, rock golems? Or did you die because like we were having a straight up fight and man, I crit you three times in a row I'm sorry, that's on me. When is it acceptable? I I think really you're going to want to start off with having that conversation long before it comes up. As long as you stick to that. And in in fact, in my personal opinion, you should even oversell how lethal your game is going to be a little bit so that then you can tone it back. So that, you know, if you say, you know, somebody is really attached to their character and you are just about to murder them, it's like, uh, oh, you, um... 33 hit points? Oh, that's weird. He deals you 31 damage. Ignores dice. On the one hand, talk about it ahead of time so that people know. And on the other hand, if the numbers say that it should happen, make it happen, and then talk about it with the player afterwards if you can tell that they are really broken up about it. So there, there's an interesting thing here, though, that you've highlighted, and, and then, Wolf, I think you also highlighted in the LARP context. It does feel a bit arbitrary whether, as a game master, you're going to say, 
no, you're dead and you're dead permanently, or I'm going to give you an out uh, through a local cleric or through this this in-game mechanism where your your teammates or your friends can can help you. Where, like, Wolf, I heard you apply earlier. If it's your first game or if you're very new to this, I'm actually going to cut you some slack, but I'm going to cut you some slack for in a way that actually makes sense in the game. Uh, and there's probably a point where you cut that off where you said, okay, look, you've been here for months. You knew. Sorry. And, and again, like, how far in a campaign... If, if it's our, our third session in a game, maybe I'm okay with killing your player character because it's not like you're attached to it anyway. We'll roll a new character and you'll do better next time. Um, but if it's a year into the campaign and I crit you in this amazing way that nobody expected, that's much harder to, to manage. Yeah, I super agree. Um, gen- generally, you get um, some games do the first two deaths are free where you don't have to draw from the bag. You just go back to the resurrection circle some games, uh, uh, they're a little bit more lenient. I think it's uh, two or three games, game sessions that you get to play. And then some of them is just, I, I brought the wrong, I brought a machine gun to a knife fight. I didn't know the guy in the woods was going to have like a knife and a box of tissues that he's too dead to use. And so I got to make a correction for that. And, and generally when I'm, when, I'm, when I'm playing tabletop and other running games like that i i put a level cap on and it's it is about managing expectations i say you know by level five like you'll my common sense should be your common sense the the world should be explained enough that you're you want you have a general understanding of how things work at that point i take the gloves off and let the dice do the work I think that's the right way to handle things, um, depending on the level scale. Like your your 20-level D&D game, if you're starting at level 1 and you make it to level 5, by then you've probably got a pretty good sense of how things work and how lethal things are going to be. Wolf, you mentioned that there were LARPs that go up to, I think you said level 110, something like that? Yeah, um, depending on the game that you're playing, you can, you can go all the way up to, um, I have a level 341 Rogue in one of the oh, wow. games I play in. And I only play with the new players because um, I like to teach them how to be real fighters in real life and then send them off into, into the game uh, as amazing rogues at level two. There's something about seeing a bunch of, I call them ducklings, uh, <laughs> sneak, up, sneak up behind the big monster, do like 60 damage, and then bleed into the shadows in real life. Um, it makes my heart throb. I love it. That's great. Um, now, just for curiosity... Um... So you're level 300-something. How quickly do you advance levels in that game? Uh, I, ran, I ran one of the chapters for two years, and uh, so I invested my, my payment in that game, which is um, an imaginary payment that doesn't do anything in real life, but I reinvested that into um, um, XP, blanket XP, because they're national games. So uh, basically it's like I, I pretended to play in this game over here that I would have pretended to be my character. So I get XP for playing that. Um, but the progression is, it's almost twice as difficult to get to the next level. So, um, it would take probably five years to get to level 200, level 250. And that's like playing every single game that you can get to locally, like the Washington, Oregon, and maybe the California game just to try to maximize the amount of experience points you're getting. Wow. Okay. So you're, you're super invested in this character. Then. Yeah. I'm, wow. I'm, I'm tempted to ask what, uh, under what scenario will that character die? Oh, I want, I want him to die. He, he, he has yet to pull a bead from a bag. 
Um, he doesn't believe that, um, that, that, that resurrection is okay. And he absolutely hates magic in all forms. He thinks if you were civilized, you just stab somebody in the back like everyone else. <laughs> so my answer to my own question for that character was, I want to die telling my party that if we do this, we're going to die. And, and having done that, I will be the one to die while making direct eye contact with my party that I told we shouldn't do this. I just, I want that. <laughs> so you want to see it coming. Okay. Yeah. Wonderful. Well, well it's, it's more than that. You want the last imprint you give to them to be guilt. Absolutely. Everlasting shame. Yes. I want, I want them to think the next time they're going to the bathroom, like, am I going to die? Is would he say that I was going to die? And I mean, since sometimes going to LARPs, you have to leave your cabin and physically walk to the bathroom to go to the bathroom, and that's a place where NPCs jump you. I myself have camped outside looking for someone doing the pee pee dance. Like, <laughs> I want that to be that moment where you're like, what would what would he say? He would say, "Don't go outside. You're going to die." Like, I want it to haunt him. You know. <laughs> now, um. Again, just curiosity because I I still haven't made it to a LARP despite being invited numerous times. Um, so the restrooms are in character too. No, so once oh, you okay. once you're once you're inside the bathroom. Um, so I'm, I'm speaking about different sites. I, I I own one, but we'll I'll talk about that later. Uh, uh, you you typically sleep in a cabin, and the bathrooms are are like. Like on a campsite, they're they're not in the same building, so you have to walk sometimes up to a quarter of a mile to get to the bathroom. And them's them's woods is dangerous, especially in the middle of the night when you're like, I'm gonna leave all my stuff here because this is an emergency. I need to get there right now. And then you you're running through and you see that giant rock golem, and you're just like, just kill me so I can go to the bathroom out of character, please. Like I, I want to go. Uh, Wonderful. Okay, is the is the cabin where you're sleeping also a safe place? Different games have different rules. Um, okay. I would say the generally at, from 2 a.m. to 8 a.m., you're safe sleeping in your cabin. No monsters are going to come in. But as far as PvP goes, it's it's whatever you want. Um, somebody comes into your cabin and shanks you in the night, and it's another PC. Rough. But as far as PvE goes, um, we generally stop at 2 a.m. But I absolutely have crawled into people's bed with them at like 8.15 in the morning as a fae and been like, <laughs> Josh, Josh, wake up. And then and then hit them with some hallucinate gas and run away. Can, can we can we just crop that and just slip that in at the beginning of the episode? Just, <laughs> just mess with anyone listening named Josh. That is wonderful. I'm imagining having to actually set guard like before we go to sleep like you you really do have to set a watch i need you to be awake for this oh my gosh that's so much fun yeah the worst thing that's ever happened to me is like i got attacked by the cat once when i was going to get a beer but (laughs) that was my fault yeah that's the trouble of owning a cat (laughs) okay so sorry um all right, so so let's say I'm that guy. It's four in the morning. I wake up, run to the restroom, get ambushed by the rock golem. And at the time, I'm like, look, man, just kill me, and I'm going to go do this, and we'll deal with the consequences later. And then I wake up the next morning and think, maybe I made the wrong choice. Maybe I still want to be this character. How do we recover from that? 
that depends on the game you're playing and the rule set going in. So you'll be able to manage your expectations from there. Obviously, there are some caveats for it's 4 a.m. and I had to I had to go pee. Um, and that's definitely something that most uh, plot members will, will definitely have that conversation with you. It's, it's generally accepted that you're going to be frustrated, especially getting up in the middle of the night and having to go to the bathroom first off and then being jumped by a rock monster. Man, uh, nobody really saw that coming. I guess running into a bunch of traps would probably be a whole different conversation because we use like little mouse traps that signify that you've hit a trap and that might be a conversation that you save for the morning and then walk up to the, we call it monster camp, the, the place where the logistics team get together and do horrible things to the players. You know, it would be up to them they they would say okay you you accidentally ran into three traps going to the bathroom all right let's let's have this conversation and in a lot of cases they'll have you go out into an area in the woods and just lay down and start your counter then and uh, when somebody comes up to ask you what happened you tell them that a rock monster jumped out of nowhere and that was that uh, some games have a fate of the party rule where. I'm sleeping out of character. Anything that happens after I go to sleep, I leave my body, which is a physical character sheet, in this cabin. And whatever happens, happens to the party. And that's I, I've always felt that's the more dangerous scenario um, because if, if they decide to go Leroy Jenkins or something, um, <laughs> then, then you went with them. And, um, and next thing you know, it's, dude, where's my car? Uh, as you're trying to figure out what happened to your body. I, I will say, I'm imagining being the rock column uh, the the NBC, but the player part of it, that's just camping outside the bathroom waiting for people who have to pee. Yeah. It's like the troll waiting under the bridge. It's like, who pees here? Yeah, anyway, okay. I myself have been in a full ghillie suit, hiding near the bathroom, just into the shadows, waiting with an herb that you pick in real life. You have to walk around the woods and find the herbs. Planted in my chest, waiting for people who are going to the bathroom, but decide to come over and pick the herb on the way to the bathroom and then get them. <laughs> That's amazing! I, what, wow, what herb I'm, is this? I, like, I'm so curious. Uh, so, if you have herbalism, and uh, typically the we use prop flowers, and it's got a little QR code on it. Depending on your skill level, when you scan it, it'll tell you what the herb is. And uh, so they don't really know until they get close enough to find out. Okay, so it, so it's like a game herb, not like a real world herb that Correct. you're actually. Okay. It is. It is. There is a phys, a phys rep, a physical representation of the herb that is a fake flower with a QR code on it. But when they come up to check and the tree is alive, uh, it sort of goes downhill from there. Yeah. If if they haven't gone yet, they will then. Yes, definitely. Yeah. Absolutely. That's amazing. Okay. And, and so I feel like we've talked about the different ways in LARP that folks will come back to life. Um, so the beads, I think we've all agreed, is probably the best idea on this that we've ever heard. That sounds amazing. The The idea that if you're dead, you're dead. I mean, this is always something that's there. I, I guess I want to bring it back to 5e for a second. I have either failed my saving throws, my death saving throws, or I have uh, taken so much damage that I am just dead. In 5th edition, what are my options to actually come back to life? So I did touch on one of them a little bit ago. Traditionally, Divine Magic is going to get you stuff like Revivify, Raise Dead, Resurrection. Reasonably certain they removed True Res in this edition. And because at this point, you could probably just Miracle, which it's the same level, so why not? There are definitely several ways of someone casts a spell and you come back to life. It is almost invariably going to involve crumbling up some diamonds because 
I don't know why. I guess they're pure, and so that purifies your corpse or something? Question mark. It's because we all know there's a value to life, and and that value is diamonds. Materialism in my D and D, it's more likely than you think. <laughs> all of these spells are something that kind of become a problem as the game goes on because you know when you are a lower level and somebody dies, you just dead unless the the DM feels like being generous. But at higher levels, and and we talked about this again some in the in the failure episode, it can really feel like death is cheapened by the fact that great, I have a million money because I'm a level 15 character and I have all of these spell slots. And so, Oh, somebody died anyway, carry on. Um, you know, that, that Jeremy Clarkson meme of, Oh no. Anyway. Yeah. We talked some of then as well about like what we would do to fix this. I love that idea of the, the bags with you're going to get up to eight, perhaps, resurrections uh if you are exceedingly lucky uh matt mercer's resurrection rules where uh if you if someone tries to cast one of these spells it is not just a guaranteed success there's a role that happens that can be modified by other members of the party doing other things that are perhaps relevant to the character um and one of the things that i will reiterate from when i talked about at that time is it can be a really cool way to find out what other characters, what other players as their characters think is meaningful to your character, uh, which is a really cool way to gauge like how well have you been role playing. You know, in any case, the spell always like if you succeed in the ritual in Matt Spurser's rules, or if you just cast the spell in in rules as written D anD. d Eventually, someone knocks on your dead soul and says, hey, bro, you want to come back to your body? That's another interesting thing, because, you know, if you're at a real hardcore roleplay table where maybe the, the player hasn't been talking because they've been dead, maybe they didn't want to be that character anymore. Maybe you knock on their soul and the soul says, no, nah, I'm good. You know, I'm, I'm up here chilling in Celestia with my god who I've been worshipping for my entire life. I'm going to stay. Yeah, it's like... The real world sucks. And <laughs> uh, D&D, yeah, kind of. <laughs> A bit. Um, yeah, there. I've always kind of wondered that, about that. Like, you're a lawful good character, you worship a good aligned deity, you die, you go to heaven. Things are pretty great there. And someone casts Raised Dead, it's like, am I going to leave heaven and go, I don't know, fight zombies in a dirty pit? Like, uh, and I, this I is why t- you don't give them a chance, and you just resurrect them for the God Claw. Although <laughs> I, I, can, I can spin that on you, right? Like if if you truly are a lawful good and you believe you were doing good in the world, that eternal reward is always going to be there. You might as well come back and do a little bit more good, and then you go and you do that. <laughs> See, say that uh, I'm going to go back to Random's reference to the God Claw. The, uh, that is a very specific reference. Um, Random's Rise of the Rune Lord campaign that I was in for. Gosh, how long was I in that game? Over well over a year. Um, so I started as a lawful good paladin, died on the end of a pitchfork, um, <laughs> and then uh, came back as a a lawful neutral oracle dedicated to the God Claw, which is a lawful organization of deities who don't like each other very much, but very much like to continue existing. If I remember correctly, yeah. Um, 
So uh, character was very much brought back to life against their will with the duty to do. So so sometimes like sometimes you do come back from the dead against your will, and that can be a really interesting um, a really interesting character point. And as much as I love that character, honestly, I think I kind of flopped on the role playing that. But and and one thing that I, I want to be clear here, Tyler and I had this conversation that this character was going to come back outside the game. This is something that you know I offered him a chance, like, hey, you know, you you do love this character. If you want to come back, you can come back. I'm going to make some changes. I'm I'm going to do this. Uh, this is not something that you should foist on your player. You know. Don't ever make someone play a character they don't want to be playing. That is just going to breed resentment, and no one will have fun. I promise you that. So, yeah. So this uh, is a place you took the social cure. Exactly. Yeah. To you, and it's the same thing that I offered to everyone in that game, which uh, everyone except one person took me up on. Was the first time they died. Well, what over the course of? I mean, that campaign lasted nearly three years. So over the course of that game, I did kill every single player uh at least once it, it was it was never i mean it's rise of the ruin lords is epic it is like one to 18 each of them got that same choice which again was handled in the social fashion it was like okay here's this option if you want it great if not roll up another character and um four of the five players took me up on yeah i want to come back they were really invested in the characters so just a way of gauging, like, you know, if someone really does want to play or not. So I do I do have one more question about death, specifically in 5th edition. Are, are there situations like, can a, do you have to have a body to be resurrected? So if, I, if my body is burned to death or I'm tossed in a volcano or I'm frozen and unrecoverable at the bottom of a lake, can I still be resurrected? It depends on the spell. Uh, raised dead requires a spell more, or sorry, raised dead requires a body. More powerful spells might not. Um, you might need a portion of the body, which it's not always clear how big that portion needs to be. So, like, um, when your characters start getting high enough level that that's an option, it's a real good idea to leave your own hair various places. <laughs> Just wake Everybody, up in the morning, hand a hand brush over. Yeah, yes. Uh, brush your hair, hand it to the cleric, and be like, all right, we're good. I've got insurance. The one bald monk is just sitting here like, ah. Uh. <laughs> That's fine. I'll Finger nail clippings. Uh, yeah. Just leave him dead. It's fine. I'm sorry oh. for that suggestion. <laughs> you should be. I, I want to go back to, to LARPing for a second. So we talked about uh, a few different mechanisms for somebody to come back to life. What are the other player characters' options for bringing somebody to back to life? So if somebody has, has their five-minute timer has expired, are all other players out of it and, and there, there are no other options? Uh, once your once your timer has expired, your options are to go to the to the resurrection circle. That's generally most 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 deaths or downs, I guess you, you might call them, uh, happen in a battle an active battlefield where there are a bunch of people running around and there are dedicated healers. So when you're down, somebody might come up and they have a 10 second incant where they have to incant their healing spell and then touch you with a packet and then you come back to life. And they try to drag you off of the the battlefield and uh, keep you from keep you from dying. Uh, once you hit your death counter is when you're technically dead, but uh, and in that five minutes, players can can save your life. Um, but after that, you do go to the resurrection circle. 
one thing so you have mentioned this several times this resurrection circle so what like what is that what is the mechanic there the mechanic is there's an actual glowing circle on our site we have a graveyard um but there's a big lit up glowing blue circle and uh your body sort of reconstitutes there without any of your gear uh just your just your clothes because you know uh legal reasons (laughs) And you can't leave the circle. Uh, someone, someone who is um, um, attuned to that type of magic has to come and and give you permission to leave that that circle. Um, once you do, you have to go find your gear, and you come back after your bead draw. And um, I've had people run in with literally just a dagger in their hand, um, no armor, no anything, run right back into battle. And it was a probably a half mile run that they that they took from the resurrection circle back to the battle. Wow, that is dedication. Serious Dark Souls vibes. <laughs> anyway. Is that indication of a really good player or really crazy player? Dark yes. Souls, who knows? <laughs> yes, great answer. Although, yeah, I would totally do the the Dark Souls LARP. That sounds great. Like I have a I have an ever, ever growing like bag of fruit that I have to carry around, and if ever I die twice, I lose all my fruit. <laughs> we should definitely talk after this. We got one for you. Okay. How's that Skyrim meme go? It's like fighting a dragon and just eat twelve wheels of cheese. <laughs> you you don't do that. I mean, I do, but I don't. I do that not even just fighting. I do that just because cheese. Awesome. All right. Uh, awesome. Awesome. I think we did it. Uh, I think I think that's a whole episode. All right. The, this week we have a question of the week. Our question of the week comes from Pugmons or perhaps Pugmonzzz. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, which class in 5e is most in need of a rework? Oh, that's a hard question. I'm going to say Monk. 5th edition Monk does a lot of things really well that it has kind of struggled with in previous editions. Random and I are natives of 3rd edition where the Monk was just straight up garbage. So 5th edition's Monk being actually playable is really awesome. It would be nice if there was more than one way to play a monk. Like the, okay, every monk you're ever going to play is going to be dexterity first, wisdom second. Maybe astral self can get away with wisdom first and then dexterity second. But like, that's the only options. Um, Everything else is the only change between builds is your subclass and some variety there would be great. Yeah, and and for those uh, listening at home, the entire time that Tyler was talking, Random was shaking or nodding his head extremely vigorously. It, yeah, it, so uh, having played a monk in both editions, three point five and fifth edition, or I know I played several in three point three point X. I also landed on that before he said anything. If you gave it um, a year and a half ago, I would have said Ranger, but then Tasha's um, came out and did a good job of giving us some fixes. It's interesting at this point, like how much the power level of your game hinges on, do I own slash allow this book? Because, you know, in, in, especially in more recent things, as you start getting uh, better and better subclasses um, and, and fixes to things like Ranger is just bad it, prior to Tasha's. Um, and even in, 3.5 it was very similar if you wanted to be a character that used a bow you should be a fighter and there was literally no point to playing a ranger as a fighter 
if you spent all of your fighter bonus feats on getting good with a bow, you'd be better with a bow than a ranger, and then you can spend your regular feats on getting good at skills, and congratulations, you're a better ranger as a fighter. No, but I want to be Strider with a gaggling of, uh, of, of hobbits, like, following behind me. <laughs> Honestly, it, well, okay, we're not going to get into how uh, the internet argues about whether or not Gandalf is a 20th level fighter with a high end, but, um, <laughs> it, but I, I mean... So I'm I'm glad. I still think that fighter could use a lot, or no, I still think that ranger could use a lot of work, because it, it you know, we we talked about this a little in the optimization that the crash course episode. It, it feels like they really tried to split the difference between a rogue and a fighter, and they did it really badly. Like 3.5 introduced the scout class in complete adventurer which was also a much better ranger and felt like a ranger than a ranger. I'm, I'm glad. Um, and, and I think that at this point I would have to agree with Tyler, like it's monk, but ranger man, yikes. Did they, yeah. did they ever fix the artificer? Because what, that was awful. I had the worst time playing. It was like, I, I was somebody's pocket helper who would hand them <laughs> stuff. And then I spent the rest of my time, sitting uh, literally trying not to die getting as far away from combat as possible oh boy <laughs> did they ever fix artificer yeah okay. I, I, I uh <laughs> if you haven't gone and read my guide that is a love letter to armor artificer you should it is it, that class is so good in fifth edition with with its full release and tasha's um it can do literally anything you want it to including being just one subclass depending on how you choose being either probably the best tank in the game or probably the best scout in the game. It, it just, like, with no other additions. It's so good. Yeah, 5e artificers are nuts. You say Tasha's. I thought uh, I thought the artificer came out in Eberron, or was it, like, an expansion of the class came out in Eberron? It was originally in Eberron Rising from the Last War and then republished in Tasha's. Um, they... They periodically republish things from setting-specific books because they know not everyone's going to buy the Eberron book just for uh, one class. Yeah. Okay, that makes good sense. That makes good sense. Awesome. Yeah, yeah the 5th edition Artificer is really, really great, but really, really complicated. Nice. And so, Wolf, it sounds like we need to get you into a 5e game where you can uh, take one more swing in an Artificer, or maybe you would run fleeing from that class and try anything else. <laughs> I, 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 I liked it. It was a lot of interesting role-play. Um, and, uh, uh, I worked my way into a position where they needed to keep me alive, but it, I could, I spent almost all of combat kind of just getting out of the way. It, it was, I have no, nothing to compare it to. It was, it was, it was very strange to be almost completely useless in combat. That is strange. Now I want to take one slight hot take here for a second. I think maybe the class that needs the most rework is a wizard. Because if Wizard is consistently the strongest class in every edition, you need to balance it. <laughs> I don't know how we would fix that, but spellcasting. Yeah, counterpoint. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> so well, they don't call it Sorcerers of the Coast, I guess. <laughs> so my thing with Wizard, Wizard is always the strongest class in D&D, &D, but it's... 
I don't think I've explained this before on the podcast, but there's a concept of a skill floor and a concept of a skill ceiling. So the floor is like how proficient you need to be to be successful in a thing. And the skill ceiling is how high you can go in that thing and how awesome you can be at it. Wizards have a really high skill ceiling. The skill floor in 5th edition is actually surprisingly low because a lot of the subclasses are super easy to play. If you just stick to blowing stuff up, everything's going to be fine. Um, Artificers are similar, super high skill ceiling, but they also have a really high skill floor because if if you're not proficient with the game, the Artificer is super intimidating. But the Wizard rewards system mastery, and that's why it's always been my favorite class. If you understand the system, if you understand the options, if you understand the play style, like the more you know about the game, the more the Wizard rewards you. And personally, I don't want anyone to take that away from me because I'm selfish like that. Um, But to some degree, yeah, the wizard probably shouldn't always be the strongest class. Nah. Um, and, and real quick, so real quick, uh, the question of the week wasn't specific to 5th edition, so I'm going to answer for Pathfinder 2nd edition as well. So far, having read through every class that has been published, including Guns and Gears, um, so far I really like all of the classes, I don't think there's any real losers right now. Uh, there are specific options within classes that have problems. Um, I know the mutagen-focused alchemist from the core rulebook has some problems that they've tried to patch with errata, and that could use a little bit of work. Honestly, I think Pathfinder 2nd Edition did a really good job with the class design, and since it's so like since it's so dependent on feats over like subclasses and stuff, um, even if one class is falling behind, it's really easy to fix with like okay, here's two or three new feats for that for that class, and everything is fine. Yeah, fifth edition monk, maybe ranger. Don't touch my wizard. Pathfinder two e. Everything's pretty great. Nice. I just awesome. re- Real quick, it's fascinating that they did that because mutagen alchemists were actually pretty good in the first Pathfinder. So interesting that that's one of the weakest things. Just a, a shower thought. Yeah, my understanding is some some things changed last minute from the second edition playtest to the final publication, and like they they forgot to cross a couple of T's and dot a couple of I's, and things broke by accident. But I mean, other than that. Yeah, class design in second edition is really good. Nice. All right. Well, thank you, Pugmon ZZ, for your question. Uh, yeah, absolutely. All right. So, and also, thank you for joining us on episode nine, the tenth episode of RPGBot.podcast. Uh, next episode, we're going to be talking about making horror work at a, at a tabletop game. So, how do we do horror in tabletop? Um, I'm Randall James. You can find me at amateurjack.com. Uh, Jack Amateur on Twitter and Instagram. I'm Tyler Camster. You can find me at RPGBot.net. You can find me on Twitter at RPGBOTDOTNET. Same for Facebook. Um, And you can find me on Patreon.com slash RPGBOT. And I'm Randa Pell. Uh, You won't generally find me on social media, but in places where people play games, I am often there as Harlequin or Harlequint. But mostly you'll find me here contributing to the podcast and articles on RPGBot.net. I'm Wolf, and you can find us uh, at SeattleLARPSite.com or uh, Facebook uh, backslash Middleground. Awesome. All right. All hail the Leisure Illuminati. Thank you, Producer Dan. Hail. All right. Uh, You'll find affiliate links for source books and other materials linked in the show notes. Uh, following these links help, uh, helps us to make this 
show happen every week. So please do it. Um, you'll find our podcast wherever fine podcasts are sold. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe and uh, share it with your friends. Uh, if you're interested in LARP, I think we'll put some uh, some resources in the show notes so you could kind of follow along with that and find an opportunity to get involved. And if you know anybody who needs this podcast in their lives, please share. If your question should be the question of the week next week, please email podcast at rpgbot.net or message us on Twitter at rpgbotdotnet. Uh, if your monster should be the monster of the week next week, please email us at, uh, or no, don't do that. Do this. <laughs> uh, tweet us at Twitter at RPGBOTDOTNET, hashtag Monsterizer. Uh, I know we announced this last week. The Monsterizer uh, is a fantastic tool, and we have our first monster of the week, and we're super excited to talk about it. This comes to us from Bearded Pilgrim, uh, and I think, uh, quote, he said, I'm sorry. I'm not sorry. He created <laughs> Rocket Rhino. Amazing. <laughs> uh, it is yeah. wonderfully exactly like you might imagine. It's a rhinoceros. It flies. It also is apparently the helicarrier from the Avengers and has uh, like retroreflective panels, which is amazing. What what wonderful piece of creativity that someone decides, you know what this rhinoceros needs? Jetpack. Yeah, it's a right. jetpack. <laughs> Obviously. Yeah, it's I, so good. I, well, like the little details, like immune to being knocked prone. Why? <laughs> because it flies. This is this is a conversation that maybe we'll have when we we do the episode talking about flight. Uh, so it is preposterous to me that in in some editions, I don't know if this carries over into fifth edition. If you are flying, you can still be knocked prone, which still imposes the prone con- the prone condition, which is absurd because. <laughs> You're flying. <laughs> like, basically, basically, my understanding of it is, is if you're not prone while flying, you just begin to fall. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so but, the number one way to counter flight is trip. Yeah, apparently. But I want to point out something that really caught my eye on this. Uh, under languages, it says understands, but can't speak. It doesn't <laughs> say what language it understands. It uh, just says understands now as as the person who wrote the monsterizer or wrote built as the person who built the monsterizer uh that is either a bug or i think they may have just put an empty like a space into the languages or maybe it was intentional (laughs) maybe it was was intentional and this rocket rhino knows every single language in existence it just can't speak which is amazing to me because it's a rhinoceros i'm sorry what a great way to build fear here is the rhinoceros it understands you it can't speak but it understands you but it understands you and now it's gonna rocket charge you yeah uh, I do so the, the retro reflectors thing. Just to be clear, right? When perceived from below, Rocket Rhino gains a plus ten bonus to stealth. Okay, so that is a bonus. In, in this world, we are out. You know, we're in the city. We're not in the savanna. Rocket Rhino obviously lives in the city. Um, you see something in the distance. All of a sudden, you see a flash as something disappears in the air. But you look up, and you see nothing <laughs> because there's a rhinoceros flying over your head, about to kill you. <laughs> but it has sky camouflage. <laughs> this uh, this uh, creature actually reminds me of a, a Mimi creature from 
uh, a game of my youth called Age of Mythology, if you put in cheat code that said Love Woo, Love Woo, <laughs> it would create a flying hippopotamus purple that would that would shoot uh, hearts and rainbows at enemies. And it was lovely, and he was my favorite little boy, and I loved him very much. <laughs> that is wonderful. <laughs> Man, nice, nice. <laughs> All right, so we're going to have to say, uh, at Bearded Pilgrim, thank you very much for what you've oh, given us. You have the monster of the week. Hell yeah. <laughs> Good job, everyone. Nobody died during the death episode. The best. <laughs>